Hi, I'm Jason Pritchard, and welcome to the EVTOR Insights Podcast, a brilliant show featuring guests from companies in the EVTOR aircraft and urban air mobility markets. Throughout each episode, we'll be finding out about their exciting projects, which will help revolutionise the way we travel in future and get their insights into the current state of the industry. In this episode, I'm joined by Leo McCloskey, VP of Marketing at Echodyne. Leo leads brand and marketing efforts for the company and is a frequent speaker on topics of technology and security. He has also represented the company in the FAA's BVLOS and Counter UAS Advanced Rulemaking Committees. Prior to joining Echodyne, Leo built and led marketing and product marketing teams in the US and Europe for a broad range of companies from technology startups to established brands with an emphasis in carrier and large enterprise service delivery architectures. His work in connected and autonomous vehicles, enterprise software, networks and cloud services and end user experience management complements his education in languages, history and political science. So Leo, thank you so much for joining me on the eVTOL Insights podcast. Jason, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. We've talked a little bit then about your background, both with Echodyne and prior to joining the company, but could you tell us a bit more details then about your career today and also what led you to join Echodyne? Sure. And, you know, I think a lot of our careers are made along the way as we find opportunities, and certainly that speaks true to me. Uh, I've always gravitated towards problems that are really quite hard to communicate to people and quite hard to solve. And uh, Equidine sort of fits in that category because the idea of radar is not something that most people feel comfortable grappling with, yet it's quite essential to many of the solutions we're going to have to consider as we put more and more aircraft into the air. And so from, you know, from my own perspective, as I look across the landscape of things that are easy and hard to do, I gravitate towards the hard things and uh, integrating radar into the conversation in a way that makes sense, that makes people feel comfortable is quite the task. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Amazing. Thanks ever so much for the introduction on that, Leo. And you talked a little bit then about Echodyne and Radar. So with all that in mind, for those of our audience who might not be aware, are you able then to share more details about Echodyne then and the work it does in the advanced mobility market? I'd be happy to. Echodyne is a uh, startup that got started in late 2014. And our big idea is that there's a new way to make a kind of radar that is quite essential to good situational awareness. Um, the sort of gold standard for radar is something called electronically scanned array antenna, ESA. Uh, the sort of things you see in the nose cone of fighter jets and missile defense systems, things that keep nations secure and well-informed. Um, And the big problem for those types of radars is they've been unable to be reduced in size, weight, power, and therefore cost. And so they're sort of reserved for critical national security applications. However, that sort of radar technology can be quite useful for a range of industries. It's just proven irreducible in size, weight, and power and cost. Uh, And that's our breakthrough is we've figured out a way that makes uh, electronically scanned array antenna, true phased array radar with no phase shifters, completely solid state uh, in a way that produces more 
transmit and receive modules per cost dollar than any other type of technology, with the end result being that we can make a radar that's the size of a paperback book and that behaves similarly to what you'd find in the nose cone of a fighter jet. And that sort of breakthrough is useful across a range of industries, with advanced air mobility being one of them. I think in the AM space in particular, because we can take we can create very good radar from something that is really quite small and that fits inside of aircraft. Um, that is the big breakthrough for AAM in particular, and that we look forward to, you know, working with the AAM industry over time as it figures out what it needs to do to get vehicles airborne and uh, how to keep them safe uh, as they as they go about their business. Thanks so much for that, Leo. So it really just goes to show how much work Echodyne is doing already and will continue to do as the advanced air mobility market matures and gets closer to commercialization as well. So I'd love to explore more of that as we will do in this conversation later on as well. But before we get to that, are you able to paint a picture then of the current landscape? Uh, as we said at the start, you're a frequent speaker, which is great to see on topics of technology and security. What would you say are the three key trends in advanced air mobility that you're currently seeing and why? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting picture. Um, depending on where you look, you see something slightly different. Um, there are different markets, uh, national markets in particular, that are moving faster than others because you've got countries a little more committed to things or have a little more freedom. So I would say you know, the general picture that we see is fairly uneven, though everything is moving forward. Um, and I, as far as trends go, uh, Jason, if you don't mind, I'm going to have four. Um, the first trend is uh, regulatory and legislative activity. Um, it's probably the one that will make many of your audience eyes glaze over because it's the last thing they may want to hear about. But it's incredibly important in terms of being able to enable the types of aircraft and types of services that AAM promises. And so I think there's a lot of activity there, especially in the legislative side, which is actually starting. We see push the regulatory side, especially in the U.S. Um, and so we're quite encouraged that we see both of those branches of government moving forward in a way that will enable the industry over time. Um, you know, as we look at it, the next big trend we'd see is that you know, big money has certainly gone in. Um, and so we think there's uh, there's a lot of momentum from a lot of companies um, with a lot of capital behind them that will uh, that will certainly make something of this market. And we think the opportunities for AM in particular are really quite, quite broad. Um, I'd say maybe the third one is the sort of innovative engineering. And we're seeing this in, in two places, sort of to enable AAM. And, you know, we think about AAM in sort of two different types of aircraft, sort of the larger aircraft hauling cargo or, or humans and the smaller aircraft that will be doing sort of delivery, medical packages, whatever it might happen to be, but smaller aircraft. And uh, for the larger aircraft, that innovation in engineering has a lot to do with avionic systems and automation, autonomous development, and really enabling the sort of situational awareness of the airspace through something other than human eyes, which is how it's always been for aircraft. And so the types of sensors they have to put in there, the sort of development and testing they're doing in the airspace, uh, it's producing a lot, it's yielding a lot of benefits across the board. Uh, and we're quite encouraged by what we're seeing. And certainly we're as a radar manufacturer, quite keen on airborne radar that goes inside, especially the larger vehicles, which would have the systems to support um, additional sensors on board. 
I think for the smaller aircraft and also for the sort of dense airspace where you'd see both larger and smaller aircraft operating, we think that innovation is also going to yield a lot of ground systems development. So UAS traffic management systems called UTM. Um, UTM systems will fuse <clears throat> what we think of um, and what we call internally as sort of this ambient sensor utility on the ground um, that would have sensors deployed. Maybe they would be on telco towers. You could even imagine that in the future, these smaller aircraft uh, doing drone delivery uh, might be connected via 5G to cell towers. Those 5G connections gives a lot of location capability. You couple that with radar that picks up everything that moves in the airspace and create sort of small cloud cells that are very aware of of, of that sort of micro activity within that um, within that small radius area around that cell tower. And the same is true for all the other cell towers uh, where you have sort of locally relevant and uh, highly um, or very time dependent data that's useful for all aircraft, but then also rolls up to larger systems. You get a sort of citywide view of everything that's happening, both for management of the air traffic, as well as sort of policing of the vehicles that are supposed to be in the air. And that's going to be a lot of ground systems. So we see that innovation really happening as well. And, and that's really only the third one. The fourth one then is really we see the regulatory agencies moving into defining what deconfliction means in much more detail. <clears throat> and so we expect to see a number of strategic deconfliction exercises, as we see in Europe now, as we're starting to see in the U.S., really start seeing more of those happen. And strategic deconfliction is just being able to schedule things so that you would minimize the number of times you out of aircraft come near each other. Um, and so that strategic deconfliction happens because you're sharing information amongst a range of parties who can act responsibly. Tactical deconfliction is going to come in as those aircraft experience things that they weren't expecting. Maybe there's an aircraft, a small aircraft that wasn't supposed to be there that pops into the airspace. Things along those lines. And how do sensors react with those relative to the strategic deconfliction and how that works in terms of the information uh, flow across um, the systems that will connect all the parties in the airspace. Um, that sort of network effect at the end, uh, that was just very exciting. That's where all of it comes together. And we think that's sort of the last big trend that we'll start seeing. We're only starting to see pieces of it now, especially on the tactical side. But we expect to see the sort of ground innovation coupled with, ta with tactical deconfliction to create some really interesting executions of ground sensors and ground systems that help uh, deconflict the airspace. So, Jason, I'm sorry, that's probably a long way to get uh, your three trends, but I did take four. The industry is getting more and more for fast pace. There's a lot of things moving at great speed as well. But I understand Ecodyne works in a host of different sectors uh, with advanced air mobility being one of them. Again, we talked a little bit about the radar solutions that Ecodyne works on. But could you tell our listeners who might not be aware more about its UAV radar solutions and then what value they can bring to this emerging market? I'm conscious you might have touched upon this in your previous answers, but we'd love to hear more details if possible. Sure, I'd be happy to. And, you know, the, the breakthrough for us is something called Metamaterials Electronically Scanned Array, MESA, or we, could, we say MESA. And Metamaterials has nothing to do with exotic materials. It is standard materials, standard uh, manufacturing processes. But if you do it in a very certain way, you get counterintuitive electromagnetic properties on the other side. 
Um, and so in our case, the ability to shape and steer electric magnetic radiation, which is how we then create true beam forming, which shoots small pencil beams of, uh, of, of RF signal into the airspace. When it hits something in the airspace, well, that's how radar works, it balances back to the receiver. And because of how that signal was sent, the receiver can, in, can, in, can get four very specific data elements. Uh, where it is in azimuth, so on your horizon, where it is in elevation, what its range is, and what its velocity is. So those four key elements, four key data elements, are what we sort of have miniaturized in this new type of radar that is ideal for the uncrewed aircraft systems market. And so for UAVs in particular, um, you know, that creates a very small form factor radar that's quite literally no bigger than a paperback book uh, and only uses 45 watts of power in a way that creates tremendous situational awareness of airspace. Um, it'll pick up crewed aircraft, other crewed aircraft at two plus kilometers. Um, and so really give you that response time that's needed in order to be, be able to keep the aircraft conducting maneuvers that are safest for all parties. Um, and so MACE is sort of the big one, but it really needs standards. And so that's sort of where we as a radar manufacturer and other radar manufacturers will always sort of net out is radar is not one of those technologies that you can adjust a few knobs and <clears throat> change its range or performance. You design it to be a certain thing, uh, have certain characteristics. And so What's really missing from our perspective in terms of UAV radar is what do we really need to have it do in order for it to be able to go through a certification process and be approved for use in airframes? And, you know, that's the sort of big development that we're staring at. You know, two years ago, if you had asked me, Jason, it would have been, wow, everything's looking like it's going to be some monster radar that everyone's going to have to use because it's 11 kilometers of range. And why do we need all that range? And in the last few months, actually, it sort of changed within some of the standards organizations where the ranges are not going to be quite as long. They might be more in the five to six kilometers range. And that's uh, that's something that we can build into in a way that creates a form factor that is preferred by the aircraft manufacturers. They would like everything to be as small and lightweight um, and using as little power as possible in order to create the best performance from, from the aircraft in general. And so it's those standards and how those standards then become regulations through the different regulatory bodies, national regulatory bodies, is what we have to follow. And so we might talk to an aircraft manufacturer that says, hey, for my aircraft, I only think I need two kilometers worth of range. Another one might say, well, the standards say I need five, so I need five. And we can't build for each of them because we don't know what's going to be approved at the end of the day. And so that sort of standards is what we're thinking about relative to UAV radar and what's going to sort of unlock that. Um, because once you have those standards, then you can get into avionic certification. You can create sort of safety first principles around how you do product development. Right now, everything's sort of experimental. And so from our perspective, you know, our radars have been used across a range of uh, UAS uh, centers of excellence, uh, FAA test environments, NASA test environments, uh, where, where possible have been used uh, internationally as well. Um, but now we're into sort of the issue of a spectrum and what spectrum's available for different radars to be used within the airspace, which factors into the standards. And there is very little 
global harmonization from a spectrum perspective relative to radar for AAM. And so that's sort of like threading a needle through a threading, a, putting a thread through the smallest needle hole that you could possibly think of. Um, and so, so Jason, when we think about it, yes, we've got a lot, a lot, we have a lot of advantages as a company relative to being able to make, you know, the right sort of radar for, for aircraft that would be half the weight of anything you've seen out there today, uh, and just as performance. Um, and so that sort of advantage is great, but we don't really know what it is we're building to yet. Uh, we don't know what spectrum is going to be available. You know, the spectrum a lot of folks are turning to in the U.S. is not available as radio navigation spectrum in Europe. And so that sort of creates fraction in the market. And how do we reach economies of scale? Um, and so long-winded answer, I'm afraid, again, of saying that we're very involved in the AM market, really watching the UAV development and how radar can be used for large aircraft, in particular some small aircraft, if, given the different con-ops that we see out there. Um, but in general, it's sort of where everybody else is. We're waiting for regulation. We're waiting for the green lights to be issued by the regulatory bodies so that we can move forward. Um, but as we do, we think we'll move forward in lockstep with the rest of the industry and be the sort of player that um, other companies can rely on because that's the sort of, at the, at the end of the day, Jason, that's sort of our brand at Equidine, right? The radar does exactly what we say it's going to do. Um, and uh, and it's that sort of performance and the reliability of performance that's going to be required for aircraft manufacturer to put trust into systems and to for passengers to eventually be able to trust those aircraft manufacturers and aircraft operators with these novel aircraft. Great. Excellent insight as always, Leo. Thank you ever so much for sharing those details about the work that Echodyne is doing. And leads me nicely into the next question as earlier this year, Echodyne announced a partnership with the EVTOL OEM Supernal, but also joined the OneSky's Future of Flight program. Um, I'd love you, if possible, to share more about the importance of these collaborations as um, uh, a, a famous phrase that I hear a lot in this industry is it really does take a village to, to, to get to where we, we want to go in terms of the advanced mobility. So are you able to share a bit more about these partnerships please yeah i'd be happy to and i completely agree with it takes a village sort of approach um i think a challenge with am is it sort of takes a village of scientists engineers and regulatory folks and um that's a that's just sort of an interesting mix um relative to the partnerships and we think that it's really all about ecosystems and partnerships and making sure that collaboration can occur can occur across sort of company boundaries, because it is sort of all in together to create the right systems that lead to safety, that lead to trust from passengers, which is what's going to make it all work. Um, One Sky, you know, they have really interesting systems that come back to sort of modeling tools where every detail counts. And so their ability to create uh, images of environments that give you the right sort of situational awareness down to very fine detail is really extraordinary. Um, Supernal uh, is also part of the, the future of flight program. Um, and, you know, we see that as being a way for a, a number of companies associated with the future of flight to collaborate, discuss how information can be shared amongst us, because that's the common element that's going to lead to safety for all of us. Uh, Supernal, of course, uh, is the uh, air mobility arm for, for, for Hyundai. And um, uh, they're also uh, uh, a minor investor in the company as well. Um, and I think one of the things that caught their attention when they looked at us was 
you know, very novel technology that when applied to the AM space uh, creates a lot of advantages for, for, for aircraft operators. Um, but they also believe in the ground systems approach as well because they, those two complement each other. And so I think from a supernal perspective, that collaboration is sort of two-way. You know, our radars can really help their aircraft development, but they also see maybe a company that has a role to play across a range of AAM applications. Excellent. Thanks ever so much for sharing these details, Leo. And then if, I'd love to get your thoughts on something else as well. And I know we've talked about it again about advanced time mobility scaling up, but um, I understand that two distinct needs will emerge, uh, each based on sensor cap- capabilities that extend onboard or remote pilot capabilities for BVLOS flight. Uh, one, as we know, the small aircraft delivering things from life-saving to the trivial, but two, the larger aircraft that are ferrying passengers and delivering cargo. Now, each will have safety performance requirements that only radar can deliver. So are you able to share more details about this, please? Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, certainly. And as we've sort of discussed here, there's a really different demands from those types of aircraft. So for the smaller aircraft that are doing medical deliveries and, you know, there's a company that we know in Canada that's thinking ahead and, you know, being able to 3D print uh, organs that you can rush to the nearby hospital in order to uh, organ transplant that saves lives. And, you know, having a central manufacturing facility where the drone is able to reach a number of hospitals, you know, within that sort of time sensitive uh, window, you know, that's a tremendous application that everyone would like to see happen. And so what's going to enable that? Um, It's going to be really good systems capability from that operator, but it's also going to be the ability of situational awareness across that entire operating area and you don't want it just where you have visual observers and you know with binoculars um, even the best human spotters can only see so far and so clearly because it's very large airspace you're trying to look through it's like trying to find something through a straw Um, and so it's really difficult to do and so having uh, technology as part of that you know radar is a key piece of that Uh, but having technology as part of that solution for beyond visual line of sight flight so that you can think about, you know, distributing radars around an operating area and having that not just for that, uh, for that medical company, but also for every other company that's going to fly there. And so not one company needs to fund it. It becomes sort of a utility. Um, and so for those, for the, for the, for the smaller aircraft, you know, we sort of looked to what models might exist out there. And um, <clears throat> actually there's uh, the public private partnerships um, that we look at in Texas in particular, where roadways were built, ground roadways were built with private capital. And the way that was done was that operator who built the roadway was given an operational license for 30 years. They could put tolls on it in order to recover that investment. And so we think something similar will happen for sort of that ground infrastructure that enables that small aircraft to deliver everything, as you said, from the life-saving to the trivial. And the larger aircraft will take advantage of that ground infrastructure as well. But because they're transporting, especially human cargo, um, you're going to want systems and capabilities on board that are redundant uh, and that will allow that aircraft to operate in sort of the worst case scenario to maintain safety of life. And so we think those are sort of different requirements. The larger aircraft is going to almost certainly be required to have things on board where the smaller aircraft will um, be required to have more data feeds that gives it that situational awareness 
awareness where it may not need to have all of those capabilities on board the aircraft. So that's how we sort of see the sensors being distributed up with, again, that ground piece being this ambient sensor utility that uh, that is useful for all of them. And then that, as that starts happening and the data feeds start maturing, we would start seeing more autonomy in the aircraft as they developed a greater sense of intelligence, uh, greater ability to source data, reliably be able to trust that data in a way that allows machines to operate without humans in the loop at all, maybe not even humans over the loop. Um, and so, you know, we see those sort of de developments all being enabled by having the right sensors and capabilities within the mix. And we think radar is going to be a key piece of that. Uh, and that's the role that Echodyne is going to be playing over the coming months, quarters and years. Amazing. Very well put, Leo. Thank you ever so much for that as well. I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been great hearing more about Echodyne, the value it's going to play, not just now, but in the future of advanced mobility. Do you have any final thoughts you wanted to share with our audience? That can be anything that you've not already mentioned, or even anything you want to really reinforce home about uh, anything that we've spoken about already. Again, yeah, love to hear your, your final thoughts before we finish. Yeah, I would say, um, and it's mainly because I've probably been dealing with it more recently um, than I'd like to is the issue of spectrum availability and spectrum allocation relative to the services that aircraft are going to need. Of course, we have a focus on the communication capability that spectrum enables so that the operator can communicate with the aircraft and learn what that aircraft is doing. Absolutely essential. And you're going to have multiple ways of doing that. You're going to have higher earth orbit satellites, lower earth orbit satellites, 5G networks, you know, the Wi-Fi networks that the drones use today. So there's lots of communication media out there, media out there that the drones can 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 choose from. Um, in order to be able to enable that communications infrastructure. Radar is not going to have that capability. Radar is going to have very defined radio navigation allocations. And, you know, a lot of these, all of these allocations were, were defined long before drones were a gleam in anyone's eye. And so I would encourage your listeners and those that are interested in this as a subject you know, to, to work with others, to, to, to start the conversation around how do we make sure that the regulatory landscape is sufficient to enable the industry um, and not how the industry is going to fit into the regulatory landscape. I think if the industry has to, is the only thing that, that adapts, if that's the, if you simply have to cut up the, 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 the shape in order to fit it into the whole, um, you're going to make decisions that are probably in the best uh, interest of the industry as a whole. Whereas if both sides, the regulatory side, as well as the industry side, show flexibility and capability in order to be able to create safety from technology, um, that I think is, you know, a development we'd like to see more conversation around as, uh, as an industry. Um, but it's certainly something that will certainly happen when it's ready. So that's the final thought I have for, for, for your audience, Jason. And again, thanks so much for, for letting me come and be on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Thanks ever so much, Elliot. Very well put as well to, to sort of come to the end of our, our podcast. And before we finish, though, I just wanted to ask, so how can other companies get in touch if they're listening in to all the excellent thoughts you've just said, Leo? What's the best way for them to get in touch with your good self or even the team at Echodyne if they want to continue uh, working with you or even set up a new partnership as, uh, as this industry does start to scale up? Oh, that's great. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, Echodyne.com is always the way people can find us and they can submit something that way or info at Echodyne is always a way that all those emails will reach me and uh, I'd be happy to review those and 
learn from your audience what how we might be able to help and what things we might be able to help them with. Excellent. Well, Leah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks ever so much for being a wonderful guest. Keep up the great work at Echodyne. We'd love to welcome you or another member of the team on for a podcast in the near future. But until then, thank you once again. Cheers, Jason. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to be featured in one of our podcasts, or there's something you feel we should be talking about, then please send me an email at editorial at evtolinsights.com. We'll be back soon with another episode, so look out for it on whichever podcast platform you use. Goodbye.